This is Family Office Intel at Denton's, the place where we discuss developments currently shaping the industry and actionable ideas for advisors, executives, and families. We share uncommon knowledge from insiders for the Modern Family Office. I'm Edward Marshall, Global Head of Family Office here at the firm. Today is a conversation with Martin Roll. For more than 25 years, Martin has been a global business strategist, senior advisor, and facilitator to Fortune 500 companies, Asian firms, and family-owned businesses. He advises clients on strategy, transformation, and leadership, among other areas. He's also an advisor to several global boards and prominent global family businesses, as well as a mentor for next-generation leaders in these families. Uh, He's a former advisor to McKinsey, an accomplished author several times over. He's, in addition to this, he's an educator and uh, teaches at several institutions, including INSEAD, CEIBS, and Harvard. Martin received his MBA from INSEAD and his undergrad uh, from Copenhagen Business School. Today, we'll discuss his thoughts of what the future of the family office will look like in a post-pandemic world trends that he's seeing in the family business and family office space, his work in building successful next-gen leaders, his reflections on the academic study and programs on family business and family offices, and how he sees the future of the family office industry. All right, Martin, let's get started. First off, how did you get started in the family business consulting space? Thanks, Edward, and uh, thanks for having me here. I, uh, I sidetracked somehow into the field. I mean, for many years, I did the, you know, strategy, leadership and transformation advisory for a lot of clients, uh, I would say almost all over the world. And uh, some years back, I spoke, I spoke at an event um, in Asia and I realized that, and I was supposed to come in and talk about strategy, but the, uh, the audience was more than 200 family owners. And while I spoke at that event, I kind of realized, wait a minute, you have done family businesses for many years, but I didn't have, I didn't have the vocabulary. I probably didn't have the language, but I realized I've done it for so many years. I somehow sidetracked into it, and then it kind of evolved since then, because I've always done strategy advisory. I've you know, worked with leadership issues with clients that happen to be family-owned firms, but I, I wasn't really aware of that. And then, of course, it, it has evolved since then, I've, and, I've, and I found, I would say, like a new passion. Not that I didn't have passion for family firms before that, but I realized that, that, that working with family businesses is really a basket of so many different topics, uh, spanning uh, business topics, you know, leadership topics, a lot of the emotional stuff, uh, future forward-looking stuff, what's happening in the world. So you can really, I could really tap into my experiences in, in so many ways. So how did the work evolve from working with family-owned firms into also working with uh, family offices? I, I think it, 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 it also came a little uh, later in my, my, my career, my advisory, but, but I've always known and, and advised and, and worked with a lot of family businesses and, and, and business families worldwide. Uh, Martin, you are always on the move. You, you operate globally and it's probably a little, little less in 2020 than in most of the other years. You've also spent decades living in Asia and are working with a lot of family businesses in that part of the world. What first motivated you to go to there? I mean, my, my, my early career was actually in, in advertising. I was pretty much uh, working out of Europe. I, I grew up in Denmark. I'm Danish. I worked in my, my early years out of uh, Copenhagen with, with several of the bigger global advertising agencies. And Asia were already at that time kind of part of the agenda. And we had Asian clients and I was dealing with Asian affairs, but I've, I've I had only been to Asia twice uh, during the 80s and the 90s. 
Then I went to pursue my MBA, which I did, as you mentioned, at INSEAD Business School back in 1999. Crazy, crazy year, by the way. We came out of the, the hype of the 90s. And, and post uh, the INSEAD MBA, everyone wanted to go to London. A lot of people joined McKinsey and private agents. It was very young at that time. So a lot of people wanted to go to, to America. I went to Asia. And I kind of realized I, I have never really followed the crowd. So back in, in September 2000, I, I went to Asia and people thought it was crazy. And they said, what are you going to do out there? I mean, it's kind of an outpost. And, that, you know, 20 years ago, we haven't heard about China and it wasn't really on the, on the global radar screen. And that kind of allowed me to see the rise of Asia over the last 20 years. And of course, as you said, I got to travel all the world. And even today, I divide my time almost equally between Asia and, and the Western world. So it was a bit of a... Um, I mean, I had a, um, I had an elective during my MBA years, and it was very much about how do you do strategies, very specific, and and that really motivated me because I owe it to one of my professors at that inset. He's now an emeritus professor, Helmut Schütte, and he really encouraged his. It was a very, it was a very small student body. It was only twenty people in that little, very narrow elective, but I, it, it was really enticing. It really motivated me to uh, to pursue Asia. Let's shift gears here and talk about some success factors that you've been seeing keeping your global hat on, what are some of the similarities and perhaps some differences that you see across the board when you compare families uh, that have been quite successful and family businesses that have been quite successful around the world, comparing maybe your experience in Asia versus your time in Europe and elsewhere? What are some of those common threads uh, that you see? I mean, when you, when you look at uh, family businesses, they, they generally share the same challenges and opportunities, right? You might be based in, in America, you might be in Africa, Middle East, Asia, whatever. I mean, the basics are really the same. But when you get into the granularity of it and you look at culture, you deal with legacy, you look, you look at the heritage, you look at the values in that society you come from. There's a lot about power, symbols, and artifacts. All, and I've rabbit on the culture, that actually starts to play a very huge role. You also have the role of, of leadership. How do you lead? What is the notion of leadership in the culture that you come from? It's a notion of communication. And it's also the notion of, uh, of governance and how that comes into play for a, for a family firm. If you look at Asia, for example, what really built modern Asia is you still see a lot of first and second, probably more second generation family firms in Asia. And you see like next generation is really, is really moving uh, out of the region because there's, there's a lot of growth. There's a lot of energy coming out of Asia. At the same time, Asia is very bound into the Confucian values, which means that you have, you have very strong bonds to family, you have very strong bonds to society. So the family orientation is very strong in Asia. And you have had for many years family businesses in, in Asia. I mean, this is not a new thing, but somehow the topic of looking at family businesses from a more professional point of view and the way we study them and the way we deal with them with the way we kind of put them forward that's probably a little younger in the us and you compare in asia and if you could compare that to the us i mean look at the us you have some of the i would say the oldest legacy businesses that really built up the the, the modern us and when you through the went through the industrialization of, of of the american society and at the same time you have a lot of medium and, and small sized family firms somehow so i think in the us family business is a little more of an established topic it's a little more out in the open it has been started a little more with a kind of a, a us angle a lot of things are happening in the field also because private enterprise, for example, risk and reward systems plays a huge part in, in, in the US. Maybe that compares to Asia where the topic is, is a little newer 
nevertheless is also rising and, and getting on the agenda. Same thing for Europe, where you have a lot of mature legacy family firms, a lot of the firms that built industrial or modern, modern Europe, spanning a lot of generations here. But of course, Europe is also very complex. It has a lot of nuances when it comes to, to kind of cultural differences. And within Europe, even, that, that's quite interesting, because in, in order to have and an, an kind of keep that long-term notion of a family firm, it's, it's very much about communication. How do you communicate across generations in, in business families? And for example, from Scandinavia, where I'm from, it's very open and, you know, people speak their mind, they speak their brain, speak their heart, where in certain cultures you go to, where, for example, in, in Germany and France, and it can be a little more subtle in a way, and you have this notion of power, distance, respect for elders and all that, and, and it can be very subtle in many ways. So even in within Europe, you see the differences. I have recently, over the last one or two years, started to do a significant amount of work in, in Africa, and in Africa, you also see a lot of family-owned firms, and it it's a bit like Asia, and it's even younger in Africa. It's still a very early topic, but I, I see the hunger. I see the interest for learning about it because the, the, the fiber of firms in Africa is still very much family family set. So there's a, there's a huge interest when it comes to advancing the role and how do you professionalize family firms, including governance and all that. And that, I think, is the same for Middle East. Middle East is, is, is rapidly rising. And I think also the topic is kind of advancing very quickly. So when you look at the, if you spread your wings out and you kind of look at family firms, I mean, they're all the same and they have the same challenges, they have the same opportunities, but in order to really see how they operate, you need to dive into the culture rate because this is where you think the, you, you get the understanding of, you know, the, the power structures and the way you work with artifacts and how communication is uh, carrying out uh, across different generations. So I find it, I mean, that's also what, 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 I mean, this is where I found my passion, right? Because I'm really passionate to see how, how family firms are playing out in, in various parts of the world. And I have the luxury and I, I got that mandate to, uh, to, to work with a lot of them. So Martin, in terms of the pandemic, how is that affecting operations and, and the challenges that the family businesses that you work with are, are facing? Are there commonalities there? And, and, and do you have any thoughts of what a post-pandemic world will look like uh, for these family businesses? I mean, it's quite interesting. I mean, we, we, we still have to remind ourselves, even though there might be this notion, depending on the glasses you're putting on where you sit in the world, that we might start to slowly come out of this pandemic somehow. We have been in it for, for a little more than a year, and I think we kind of learned to deal with it. People are dying. There's a lot of mystery out there. A lot of businesses gone bankrupt and all that. So we have to be very respectful. I am very respectful of that. On the other hand, I think also the, the pandemic has shaken up a lot of family firms. And, and, and the interesting thing about family firms is that you find some of the eldest firms in the world are still family-owned, right? And they have seen wars and they have seen cholera, you know, 100 years ago. They have lived through upheavals and economic downturns and all that. So once they get that kind of fiber into the DNA of the family firm, you, you, you see that kind of resilience from the family firms. Of course, when the COVID hit, it was very much for a lot of them, a lot about survival, cash, securing channels, maintaining the customers that you could and kind of the role of leadership and how you stepped up. But I also see a lot of the pending issues that you had in family firms. There was this notion that this is also an opportunity to, to look forward. So the, a lot of the issues that you hadn't dealt with in terms of 
my governance structure? Should we professionalize the firm? Should we start to bring in next generation? Are they interested in joining? I felt, for example, I'm a mentor for a lot of next generation. And a lot of them actually wanted to, to come back home to help out and really play a role in that. So I think as much as the pandemic, of course, have brought about a lot of misery and all that, and, and, and a lot of firms, including the family firms, were forced to get the house in order and to rethink the business model. I'm also quite confident because I tend to be always on the optimistic side. There's also, there is an opportunity here to grab the momentum for the family firms. And, and because family firms have always had that kind of uh, orientation towards kind of the long term. So they see through this sometimes in a different uh, way that you will see a much more institutionalized firm. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty upbeat on it. We're still going through it, but I see a lot of the family firms and, and you have some pretty good uh, success stories around the world because they have that orientation towards that because I've seen it before in, in, in history somehow. They're very much couldn't say patient capital and all that, but they they have somehow this kind of DNA that's deeply ingrained in the in the DNA of the business. Well, Martin, you make a really interesting point on the historical knowledge of some of these family-owned businesses that have gone on for gen- generations. Have you seen any examples of them passing those learnings down to the next generation or successfully on that? I find that very fascinating to hear, and it is quite logical, right? If a business has been around for 100 or 200 years, they've, they've probably gone through wars and all these other challenges, and, and that is built into the DNA, as you, as you mentioned. I think where history and legacy uh, comes to good work is actually when the, when, the, when the current business family is very aware of it. And sometimes when succession, for example, doesn't work so well on a, or a firm doesn't work so well, I think that's because you really haven't gotten back to the, to the root of your business. And, and, and when you haven't understood what actually brought you to the current stage, maybe through hundreds of years, through a lot of different generations and, and why you became so resilient and, and why you were also able to adapt over centuries, over different generations, because you saw the hardship. You went through the wars, you went through other, uh, there was a pandemic, for example, 100 years ago, and other kind of e- economic downturns somehow. So that discipline and that prudence that you have in a family firm, the family is very aware of that. A good example, for example, if you look at the turnaround of uh, Lego, which is a Danish uh, uh, toy maker, now one of the, uh, one of the most celebrated and, and very successful uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, toy brands in the world. They were in a crisis 15, 20 years ago. And when they brought in the, uh, the CEO, and he was a former McKinsey consultant, John B. Knustorp, he actually went back, uh, back to the archives and kind of realized and understood uh, from, from the early days of Lego what Lego was all about, what the purpose was all about, what Lego had done, done to kids uh, over many, many years. And he brought that in when he modernized Lego and when he kind of rewrote the strategy for Lego. So you see the, the past actually paid, it wasn't the only thing, but it was an important part of the strategy discussion in Lego. So sometimes you can have a, you can actually learn from the past what makes us strong in the past, and some of that DNA you're also going to bring that forward. So on the product side, on the services side, but also the values which were so ingrained in the past generations and which has obviously been passed down to the to the current generation. So I think it's very much about awareness, and it's not about abundant respect because. Longevity of a family firm is also about renewal. It is also about letting go of the past and making sure that you even at times disrupt yourself. But where do you find that kind of balance? And I also often remind my clients, I mean, successful family firms is a, is a very curated 
careful balance between the past, present, and the and the future. I think that's a really, really interesting story on the Lego family. So thank you for that in terms of what they're looking at. And I think you make some really good points on uh, being flexible and not, not being binary in your thinking here of the past is something to be ignored or something to be only looked upon and, and the balance that you have to strike there. I think those are some really interesting points. So thank you for that. Let's look at wider trends for family business and in, in family offices. Are you seeing some key trends? I know I hate sometimes saying that word trend because it's a hard one to really measure out, out there, but are, are there things that you're seeing in these two areas that are rising up to the top? I think, first of all, you see the rise of the family offices, right? I mean, you, I mean, since 2005, we have had a lot of thousands of family offices have come into the picture. So first of all, I think the prominence and, and the visibility of family offices is, is really here to stay. So that's kind of on one side. We see way more family offices. We see way more wealth. You also, in general, see a lot of the next generations. I mean, you have always had this renewal of family firms and with that also family offices. But I think in the current era that we live in, you see a lot of the next generations coming into the to, to the to the family businesses, but they're also scrutinizing. They're also questioning why would I join the family business? So a lot of that kind of source of renewal is coming into the uh, to to the family firms. You see the role of the family offices. I think that's a big trend. Where you're going to invest? Where you're going to put your money? And with that mandate, you can actually I wouldn't say force, but you can nurture. You can inspire change in society because you can put your money first and you can maybe in, invest in sectors uh, that's going to go back to society, that's going to be better for the environment. So you can actually put the money where you want the, the changes to take place. So I think that's probably some of the, the, the kind of the big picture stuff that I see for the two sectors. Let's uh, switch gears and talk about succession. Not an easy task to do. And I know you've worked with a lot of families that have been successful in, in doing that. What are some of those success factors that families have been able to employ to you know, accomplish their succession missions? And then maybe you could also touch on some of the pitfalls that families should be aware of as they're kind of making those different transitions. I mean, only only three to five percent of the family firms actually survive after the third generation. So there's a lot of pressure from generation one to two and even to to generation three and onwards. You have to be very mindful that. Uh, longevity and success over the long term, and you ask any business owner they want to survive for the next 100 years as a family firm, that is not a given. And this is where you have to be very careful when you when you plan your succession. I think some of the key components, as I've seen it, is that you start planning early. I mean, I have a lot of clients that come to me and said, Martin, we need to, I need to bring my, my kids in, I need to bring my cousins in, and I need to get this going. It starts early and often, you know, success and planning takes at least five to seven years, depends, depending on which jurisdiction you are and how complex your firm is, where you're based in the world, the appetite among the different generations to, to start that succession somehow. And you need to involve the family at large, colleagues, stakeholders and outsiders somehow. So you, you realize that succession actually has at least it has two protagonists. It has the owning generation and it has the generations that you're going to see coming in after them. And you need to understand the complexity which is, which is, which is involved in that. And of course, that raises the notion of the next generation coming into that, coming into the firm. What's the role going to be? Are you going to work in the firm? Often you have to start somewhere. Or would you be but much better off having outside experience and then maybe at a later stage come back into the, to the family firm 
Should you sit on the board? Should be should you be involved in the governance side, or should you somehow just become a responsible owner for the business? And you could also sit on the board. You could even hire board members from the outside. So those are some of the issues you need to bring in. If you want to put one headline and one common theme across successful su uh, succession, that is really communication, the ability and the interest and the motivation to communicate between the different generations. And this is where the it taps into the topic that I, that I mentioned before in terms of culture, because in certain cultures of the world, you don't communicate the same way that you do in other cultures. And my point to people that I'm advising to my clients and the next uh, generation family members that I speak to, and I speak to them all the time, is that communication is important, even if you're gonna agree that you disagree, but as long as you communicate, you can discuss the issues. And once you start to communicate, you can also get to learn. As I said, you have two different protagonists. You have the owning generation and you have potentially tomorrow's generation coming in. And you need to communicate about what's, what, what's your mandate going to be. Is this a burden or is this an opportunity for me as a next gener generation coming in? What's a governance level? What's my mandate? What am I going to do in the business? What will be my authority? What would be our autonomy? Younger people, of course, want to have a certain sense of authority and autonomy because you don't want to be the generation always referring to the to the more senior generations and, and somehow. And then I think it should be written down. I think you need to have a written succession plan also because for both parties or the many parties whom are often involved in that, it, it's a little more binding because otherwise it might, for example, be very hard for the current owning generations to just stick around for a very long time. So you have to be very respectful of the different mandates that you're going to put out for, for the various generations here. But it could be done, but it takes time. You have to be patient. You have to, communication, to, to kind of communicate. And you need to be able to deal with conflicts almost in all, even successful uh, successions that I've seen around the world is it, it's always full of conflicts. There's a lot of unspoken things, a lot of emotions involved, there are a lot of kind of unmet needs. And, 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 and also you have to sacrifice and you have to be a little more tolerant because we need to get this kind of large ship of a business family and a family firm to, to kind of advance here. So it's a very careful, uh, carefully curated process that's going to take uh, time. And, and often then this is a role that I play. I always advise people to, to have advisors or mentors and people from the outside, which could even be other business families which have or whom have gone through the same thing. You can learn a lot from them. One of the protagonists that you mentioned is the, is the next generation. It's certainly around this, this notion of engaging the next gen is something I know you and I have often heard and sometimes often used phrase but sometimes rings quite hollow, right? It, it, it's an area that, that can be, mean a lot of different things. What does it mean to you? And how have you seen families deal with the dynamics of children that don't want to be engaged? They don't want to be part of uh, the family business. I'm very passionate about the uh, next generation. And I know there are at times uh, negative connotations around next gen, because I mean, you of course have heard about the spoiled kids and, you know, you're just one of those uh, rich guys, girls and, 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 and boys that's going to go back home and just inherit this uh, bond, this wealth, which maybe I don't have. So there's a lot of envy. There's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of myth around uh, next gen, but I'm very, very passionate about them. And I'm fortunate because I work with a lot of them. 
And I'm very respectful of their importance for the longevity and the long-term impact of the business. We have to, we have to, we have to respect that because the reason why a family firm would go from the first generation, the entrepreneurial founder, towards the 15, 20th generation is because they always have been in, they always been able and capable of renew, renewing themselves by bringing in the next generation. But of course, it's also about grounding the next generation. And I think in order to 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 for this not to happen so you have a fallout or you're realizing that your kids or your 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 cousins are not really capable and 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 sometimes they they aren't capable or they aren't interested and they want to do they want to pursue different things in life and i think they need to have that kind of freedom to play but at the same time and you ask any owner of a family firm i've only met a very few if any over the years whom do not want to have next generation involved in the firm. They, they, are, they are dreaming of having the sons and daughters and cousins, a mix of that, coming back into the, to the business family. So I think it starts very early. And I think it starts early, even when you're a kid, you don't want to impose too much on it. And you know, kids don't think about business, but you can play with that. And I think you have to be open. I think you have to be transparent. And then I think you, you have to demystify that we are a family like any other family, but we also happen to be a business family because we, we happen to own a, a business or businesses which sometimes have been passed down over many, many generations. And, and why is that? So you need to stimulate that interest. You, know, you need to talk about it. You need to demystify it because the mistake you can do often is that you never had heard about it. Sometimes it's, a, it's an underlying expectation that my daughters would maybe one, to, one day join, but we don't talk about it. And then suddenly when, when she turns 25 or 30 years old and she's about to graduate from Harvard Business School, we're suddenly going to have this discussion. And, and, and kids would naturally be inclined to say, wait a minute, we have never discussed that. You never let me in. You never, you never debated why we are a business family and what comes with that. You know, there are always strings attached to a business family, and there are a lot of positive sides to that. So you need to start very early for that not to happen. And you even have to be respectful. And, and a lot of next generation are, are, are coming back to the business family sooner or later and uh, take up very, very meaningful roles. And as I said in the beginning, you're going to find out, and this is a lot of, where a lot of my mentoring comes in. Do you want to work in the business? Should you sit on the board and or should you just become a responsible shareholder? And even becoming a responsible shareholder can be a full-time job for many because you might one day in the governance structure become the chairman or sit on the board or several boards of your, of your family firm. So I think it's about for this not to happen and for, for, for the next gen to come in very successfully is really to be very open about communication. It's about being very precise about the mandate. I always ask the next gen and I also ask the, the owning generation, the seniors, what is a mandate? Yeah, but he or she can just come in and we'll figure that out. Well, my point is, if you can't discuss it now, why would you be part? Why would you discuss these issues five or ten years down the line? So you need to you need to bite the bullet and you need to talk about those issues and some of them very sensitive ones. And you also need to give room to operate. So would you have would you be given a certain authority and would you also have a certain uh, autonomy? And then you're going to realize that. Not everyone is going to join, and I've seen it over and over again. I want to study something else. I want to go into medicine. I want to become an architect. I want to save the world. I want to live in a different part of the world, sometimes love life, 
might derail some of the plans because I mean your your kids or your cousins might marry somewhere and they just suddenly have a, a kind of a new interest and you have to be very respectful of that. So don't force it. Don't force the issue. Let it play out, but be very open and be very transparent about it. Martin, you have two books coming out, not one, but two. Talk to us about what inspired you to write them and, and what they're about. The first one, I'm writing two books. The first one is called Family Business Strategy, and the other one is called Family Office Strategy. The first one, Family Business Strategy, is very much about how do you develop and ex execute strategy in a family-owned firm. And, and you might, you know, you go back to business school and what is really strategy? Strategy is one, it's kind of a, a one-page document that illustrates where are you right now and where you're heading and how do we get that? That's pretty simple. Strategy can be very simple. What I've learned over the years, if you work with strategy in a family-owned entity, it is slightly different because it's still about strategy. It's still about the business issues, but it's also about the family because you happen to have a owning family or families around you and you can't just neglect them. And I have been involved in hundreds of strategy projects uh, over the years with, with often uh, with, with, in business families. And I've seen how you be, need to be mindful, how you need to be respectful, and how you have to work with uh, and, and beside the, the business family in order for, for strategy to, to play out very well. Because it is about how do you find that kind of long-term DNA of a, of a family business. And, and when you need to discover that, you need to work very closely with the owners. But the reason why I wanted to, to, to write this book is because I haven't really seen a very good book on how do you develop and how do you execute a strategy in a family business? Because you have a lot of complexities, because you have the overlapping issues of ownership, of being a family. Are you in management? Who is running the firm? Where are we heading? So these are some of these very unique characteristics that you find in a, in a family firm. And you know, back to succession, I mean, there is this beautiful Chinese uh, proverb that wealth should not pass three generations, right? The first generation builds wealth, the second one manages it, and the third one destroys it. So business owners are always on the lookout. How can I secure survival here? How can I bring in the best people for the firm, family or outside professional people? And that is what the book is going to address here. So it's really about a structure for the process of getting a strategy for your business, but also for the family side, for the ownership side, because you could be family, it doesn't mean you're an owner. And when you're an owner, it doesn't mean that you're involved in the business. What about the family office and what about the impact that you want to drive? And that's what I want to put into uh, to, to the first book. It's, it started out with the notion that I wanted to have a, um, I wanted to have a guideline. I wanted to have a toolbox. And, and obviously that toolbox I have evolved and I've kind of refined it over years with a lot of the strategy projects I've done, but I wanted this to, uh, to come out to a bigger audience. And I think it will be quite fruitful for, for, for a lot of people out there. The second one on family office strategy is based on the notion that I think family offices are often uh, compared to something about wealth and something about investment. It has a, it's kind of skewed towards finance. And, uh, and of course it is because you often have the wealth and the mandates, investment mandates sitting in the family office. But it's so much more than that because a family office is also a vehicle for long-term success, how it relates to business families, to next generation, to succession, and even to the times where the current family is not around. So I always wanted to have a, a, a guideline. I've had a lot of people coming to me over the years and said, hey, Martin, what is a family office? How do we set it up? How do we manage it? How do we brand it? What is the mandate? Who's going to run it? And, and how does it impact the business family? Because in our family, we have the following discussions. 
and what can it do for us? And I think there is a need for it because, as I said, since 2005, we have seen the rise in the number of family offices today, counting at more than 10,000 around the world. Look at Singapore, for example, the number of family offices in Singapore uh, quadrupled between 2016 and 2018. And you also see a lot of the next gen uh, coming into to business families and, and, and family offices. Think about the US, for example, a, a large part of, of wealth would be passed on to the next generation before 2030. And you have also among that a lot of the US millennials uh, getting in here. So I found the need for a document and a guideline. And again, back to my toolbox, it's kind of emerged to me, came to me, couple of years back, Martin, wish I had that document that I could pass on for a start to my, my students when I was teaching, but also to a lot of my clients worldwide. And what, it, what I came to see over the years is that family business and family office is very intertwined. It used to be something with wealth and with investments, but I think I often see the family office as being almost like the custodians of the long term, meaning you might be a business family, you might have several family-owned firms, but the overarching platform, the overarching horizontal layer that kind of can accommodate all the interests, some of the generations being involved in the firm, people with other interest in impact, people that are not in interested but are just happen to be passive owners of the firm, they can all be consolidated into the family office. So I find it's much more than wealth. It's much more than investments. It's almost like the the upper, it's kind of the, the leadership vehicle, it's a strategy vehicle for the long-term success of a, of a family business. So in addition to the work that you're doing in families directly, you're also doing some really interesting work in the academic space. Give us some insights on that. I mean, you had some major programs at Harvard and INSEAD um, that you're involved with. Are you seeing an increasing number of business school programs targeting family businesses? I think they, I'd be interested to hear your comments on that. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely a rising topic, and I think you, there's also I'm, I have several roles in, in in family business. I do a lot of work with uh, with INSEAD Business School, where I'm a distinguished fellow, and I spend actually between fifteen and fifteen to twenty percent of my time there, where I'm part of the team, doing strategy, run workshops, programs, and all of that. And also have a very interesting role in in being a mentor. I developed and I run a next generation uh, mentoring program for our students and alum from from uh, from business families. So I see more than 100 to 150 of them every year. I'm also visiting professor at CIPS, CEIPS in China, one of the leading business schools in China, China European International Business School, where I'm a visiting professor in family business. I run the MBA elective and I also run programs in both Europe and Africa. And by the way, we are starting up a, a, a family business program in Africa in, in June. At HPEA, Harvard Project for Asian International Relations, which is a, a student-led organization at the Harvard University. I'm on the Board of Advisors, uh, and we have faculty from Harvard University and people like myself, outside members, as part of the, the Board of Advisors. And I'm faculty at some of the global conferences, and I run masterclasses, and I'm also advisor to the to the two presidents. So, so across several business schools, including INSEAD, SIPS and Harvard, but also IE Business School and Essex from France and other business schools that I've done work with, I see a lot of interest in, 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 in the topics of family business. And as I said in the beginning, the interesting thing, family business in itself is not a topic. It's actually a compilation of a lot of different topics. And I see a lot of interest uh, in this field. There were like a first year range of academics that developed a lot of the basics and a lot of good stuff. We only started to talk about family firms 
some 30, maybe 40 years ago at, at business schools, and it has really advanced since then. And I think business schools have a lot to offer here. It's a forum for learning. It's a, it's a way of discussing with, with peers, learning from other families, what are the best practices, what are some of the downfalls, what are some of the challenges. And it's, it serves as a pit stop from a hectic day-to-day -day life. Mind all these business families. I mean, they are fighting for survival. They are fighting for prosperity. They are fighting for the long term. And here you come to business schools, shorter long-term programs or whatever interactions you have, and you find that reflection and that renewal, which is so important for you as a, as a business owner, as a business leader. So when it comes to family business, it's not, not who you know, but it's how you met them and what you share with them. And you realize maybe the most important thing that other business families deal with the same issues. So what you're getting being involved with business schools as a business family is you get some comfort, you get affirmation, and I think you get a lot of motivation to solve issues which sometimes seems uh, pretty tough on you. Are you seeing a similar trend around family office programs in the academic field? I think family offices and business school is a, is a younger field. There, there is academic research on, on family offices that primarily came out of wealth and, and out of investing and kind of the financial angle to it. Research in family office more as an operating entity is still new, but I think it's coming. Not many business schools are offering family office programs, but I think it's something that you're going to see more of. And I know several business schools around the world are working on launching those programs because with the rise from the sheer number of family offices around the world and with this kind of combination between being a business family and running a family office, I think there's also a huge untapped need for business schools to, to offer more programs in this field. What areas of academic study are you seeing being done on family businesses and family offices? Are there some key areas that are being discussed or researched today? I think there are some key ones. Some of them are evergreens. I mean, you, you, you always have an ongoing calibration of the interrelation between family owner and management issues. I mean, are you a family? Are you owner? And do you work in the, bird, in, in, in the family business, including governance for that matter? You always have, you have a lot of research going into next generation and succession, also because next generation somehow is kind of changing, right? They're much more into impact and the state of the world, pollution, the future of society and mankind and all that. There's a lot of research in that point. I see research in governance. Uh, I recently, for example, we ran a webinar at, at the Inset Business School because we run a, 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 a certification program for board members. And we had a webinar on how to become a or how to be a successful board member in a family-owned uh, business, and we saw huge interest from that. So the entire governance side of it, are you going to govern yourself as a business family? Are you going to have outsiders and what comes with that? A topic of how do you professionalize the business? It used to be maybe the first-generation entrepreneur, and how do you over generations when he or she is going to retire, how do you bring in the new generation? Are you going to professionalize in terms of, of having outsiders, outside CEO, outside chairman, board members, people working in the firm and all that? I see issues in digital and transformation. Digital not only as, as the value chain, but also digital as a much, more, a much, much bigger topic for a business family. A lot of research in impact and also a lot of research in family business and its role in society. What, it, what, it, what are you giving to society? What are you taking back from society? And what is it kind of, what's kind of the force for good for family businesses when it comes to the, to the larger world and some of those, I would say, huge issues that we have ahead of us? And what type of role can family business play? Martin, you're often 
at the, this intersection, this crossroads between family businesses and family offices. What do you see as the future of family offices? I think they're going to take much more prominence. Uh, I see Asia is rising. I see other regions are coming into the fray. And as I mentioned before, that is not only about investments. It's not only about being wealth holders. It is about sometimes custodians of wealth. But I think also family offices are, are gaining prominence as, as investors and even direct investors. And you've seen that it has really been accelerated in the last uh, five to 10 years. And family office, sometimes in contrast to other type of uh, ownership structures, often can have a much more long-term view. It's almost some of them work like a pension fund. You can have a very long-term view on your investments. So you can somehow wait it out. You can let it unfold in terms of new technologies, things that are disrupting things that are not even ready for scaling up yet. And it's also a way for me to, to, to I really see the next generation coming into the family offices because a lot of them have interest in the, in the business family, but may not necessarily have found a role in the business, the family business itself, but in the family office, it can actually open up much more opportunities than just working maybe in a very narrow field of business where in the family office, you can have a much more long-term view and you can kind of cast your net out across, I would say, different sectors, different type of investments, different type of horizons. And I also think family offices, and I think you're only going to see more of that, it's going to be a, it's going to be a platform for impact because there is a lot of wealth sitting with the global family offices and more coming in all the time. And I think they can be a force for good because they are driving a lot of, uh, they are driving a lot of impact. Last question, lessons learned. What do you wish you had, you know, that you know today that you wish you had known when you got started in this space? I wish I'd have started earlier because I, but, but maybe that was also good that I didn't know it because I have never been intimidated by wealth. I have flown on private jets and I, I know a lot of tycoons. I know very ambitious. I know very wealthy people, but I had never, because I never saw my, my clients as family firms. I was never intimidated by that because I was just, I was still, I was so hooked on getting the strategy right or getting the leadership transition up and running and transforming the businesses and the supply chains and rural areas, whatever they did. But looking back, wish I had got involved in family business and family offices much younger in, in my career, but it's kind of a dual sword here because maybe it was good that I didn't know. So I just pursued what I did. and <laughs> It brought me to where I, uh, to, to what I became. But I, I, because I'm very passionate about business families and family offices, and I just wish uh, that I could have started earlier doing that. Well, thank you, uh, Martin. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for all of you for listening in today. If you'd like to get in touch with Martin or you have any questions, do send us an email to familyoffice at dentons.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation or are so inclined, subscribe to the channel, review us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or keep in touch with us wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. And as always, sharing this episode is very much appreciated and probably the best way that you can show your support. To sign up for our newsletters and learn more about our solutions and research in the family office space, check out our website. That's dentons.com forward slash family office. Well, that's it. Bye, everyone.